0: We're going to discuss a series of chuvas tonight on a celebrated question, same question more or less in different variations. The question is whether we are permitted to do certain averis, violate Shabbos, eat non-kosher food to save human life. Now, of course, we know that we generally are. We drive to the hospital on Shabbos, we can take non-kosher medicines, we can eat on Yom Kippur if we have to to save life, that's clear. The question we're going to discuss tonight is whether you can do that even if the life-saving modality of doing the, Avera, of doing the Avera is not something that works according to the normal laws of nature, the laws of science and medicine and nature, but something that is a supernatural remedy, a remedy derach a remedy derach religious supernatural, tzila, and so on. Are you allowed to... I, in, if someone is in genuine danger of his life, are you allowed to be Mechal Shabbos or eat non-kosher food if the efficacy of those procedures does, is not something that works through the ordinary, materialistic, uh, natural world that we live in, but the, way that, but the way these things work is through something supernatural? <coughs> this is a question that you know, some contemporary posts can discuss. They bring some relatively late sources on the question. As we'll see, the, the basic question in a halachalamaisa sense goes back about 300 years to the 17th or 18th century. The sources for the question go back to the Mishnah and the Talmud, but the basic actual tshuvas discussing this question in a halachalamaisa sense go back about 300 years. The earliest tshuva I found on the question is in the Sefer Admas Kodesh. The, the Admas Kodesh was a Spardic, written by a Svardik rabbi in Yerushalayim, Nisim Chaim Moshe Mizrahi, actually born Moshe Mizrahi, according to Wikipedia. The names Nisim and Chaim were given to him on a couple of separate occasions when he found himself in considerable peril. He was seized as a uh, hostage by the Ottoman, Ottoman government who wanted to seize him to, uh, to, to guarantee certain demands they had on the Jewish community in Jerusalem they added the name, the first time they added the name Chaim, the second time the name Nisim, but he was uh, Rabbi Nisim Chaim, Moshe, Nisim Chaim Moshe Mizrahi, he is the author of the Sefer Ad Mas Kodesh, a well-known, well-known Svardek uh, Tshuva Sefer from about 300 years ago. His question was as follows. Ruvain, unfortunately, had a severe mental illness. He had some kind of fits or seizures where he would, uh, he, had, he had these episodes of, <clears throat> of devastating insanity, of devastating mental illness. When, the way he describes it, when he had these periods, he would eventually get back. He would eventually get back to himself. Uh, it, it would last for a few days, and he would revert to his uh, healthy self. But during his periods of mental dysfunction, he would be uh, terribly deranged they would have to basically put him in a straitjacket. They would have to put him in Kavle Barzal, they would have to chain him down inside a locked room. They would really have to uh, totally immobilize him because he was apparently dangerous, either to himself or others, presumably. So, and, they, and they couldn't do anything about this. Ruven was stuck with this terrible mental illness. Shimon came along and he said, he knows, upon information and belief, he knows that the remedy for this disease is he has to eat a chicken, but it had to be a nevela. It had to be a non-kosher, a Purdue chicken, an improperly slaughtered chicken. Actually, not Purdue, it had to be Mesa Bide Shemayim. It had to have died a natural death. A chicken that died, died a natural death, according to a chuva of his brother in the Sefer Pri who also wrote a chuva on this case. It actually was chicken soup. They had to eat marak shell, they had to eat uh, marak shell Tarnagolas nevela, the soup or the gravy from a... Navela chicken, a chicken that died and was not checked. This is obviously a, an issue of skula. The, it, it was assumed by the people involved, the postcum involved. This is not a natural remedy. Chicken soup itself may be a natural remedy, but chicken soup, dafka from a navela. this was definitely assumed, or chicken soup, for a, a severe case of mental illness. Chicken soup may work for the soul. It doesn't work for uh, severe mental illness. This was assumed by the posthum involved to be a Rafua Sigulis, a refua that does not work with hateva, but something that has some kind of mystic supernatural efficacy, and uh, this this was the only remedy they could come up with that would cure this person. The pers- shimon who, who attested to this said he's seen this many times, that he well, he saw it one time, he saw it happen to a certain person. Other women testified they saw many people who were cured by this uh, this remedy. Now, whenever we discuss such a question, can you do a refus gulis, uh, which involves an ister, or in this case the ister of non-kosher food, obviously we always have to ask ourselves two questions. First of all, how do we know it works? If it's not science, if it's not attested to by medical science, by observation, by theory, then, well, they had observations ostensibly, but if it isn't attested to by you know, what we would call the scientific method... How do we know it works? In this case, they knew it worked by anecdote, by report, by rumor. Uh, Many people who believe in alternative medicines of various sorts uh, will swear that they know that it worked. Obviously, from a scientific perspective, perspective, we don't consider anecdotal evidence worth all that much. It might prompt science to investigate if there are anecdotal reports of something working, but we know anecdotes are not reliable. A single anecdote is not statistic, is not statistically significant, multiple anecdotes, the plural of them is not data, as the saying goes. In general, we, we have a very uh, modern science, modern uh, modern Western science, we have a deep skepticism of these types of reports of, uh, it worked, I know, it happened to my friend, it worked, we, we don't really place a lot of stock in that. Halacha does, actually. Halacha, going back to the Gemara, the Gemara talks about how do you know an amulet works, if it's ismachi, if it works three times... Halacha relies on a much looser concept of evidence for efficacy, for uh, for effectiveness in terms of therapies. We've discussed in the past the, the kind of the philosophical question. We'll touch on it a little bit later, maybe about why Chazal, why the halacha uses such a such a m- much less rigorous, much less rigorous uh, em- empirical requirement to assume something works. But the first question always is: Do we assume it works? And if it works, is it school or science? The second question is, if we assume it does work, but that it's skula, the second question is a purely halachic question. Are you allowed to violate an isser, eating treif, being Machal Shabbos, to implement a refua, some therapeutic modality, that, that its efficacy, even by its, uh, even by its proponents, is only one of skula, it involves some kind of mystic supernatural, supernatural benefit and does not involve normal science, nor the normal laws of nature. We'll see why this is a question. We'll see what prompts the postkin to consider this question. But this was the, the Shoel, the person who asked the question. Rabbi Rabbi Mizrahi was born around 1690. He died 1749. So he was a, he functioned, he, he operated in the early half of the, the first half of the 18th century. So just about 300 years ago. So the question was, the question he was asked was, first of all, there was a third question they had to grapple with over here. Is this choli of mental illness, severe mental illness? Is this considered cholish she'ish posakana? You can only do averis, even if it's a refua, We are we're only allowed to do an We're only allowed to violate averis deraisa nevela if there's a cholish she'ish posakana. If a person is not feeling well, you can't eat nevela. It's only it's, it's only if it's uh, if, if there's danger to life. So the first question is. He was mentally ill, but is this called is this called uh, is he in danger of his life? The second question is, if we assume he is in danger of his life, so you'd be allowed to give him an ordinary scientific medicine, science-based medicine, but this is Rafur Kulis, this is Napadderateva. So is that mutter even for a ah? So those were the two questions. the efficacy was not in doubt. The efficacy was taken for granted by the Shoel and the rabbi Mizrahi is going to agree that the anecdotal reports of, of effectiveness were sufficient for our purposes. So that wasn't going to be debated much, at least we're not going to focus on that part of the tshuva. But the, the two questions he discusses besides that are, is mental illness, this type of mental illness, is this considered cholesh yesh pasakana? Question number one. Question number two is, question number two, if we assume it is a cholesh yesh does that uh, justify, is that enough to justify the use of a refuah Sigulis, a supernatural remedy, even when it involves a clear-cut iser like the consumption of nevela, of trefmi. So the first part of the tshuva, which I did not include in the handouts, he, he, he gets into the question of whether this type of severe mental derangement is considered chola basakana, and he concludes that it is, he cons- that this level of mental uh, instability is considered chola would basakana, and assuming we had a proper refuah, that would cure this, we would allow the consumption of such a refuah, even if it involves an Isser-like novella. The second half of the tshuva, which is the part that we are focusing on tonight, is, well, what about the fact that this is segula? This is not uh, derech ha-teva. So is that, can you do a refuah segulas, that's not a derech that, which involves an isser daraisa in order to cure even a chal a So in order to understand his analysis, we have to turn to a pair of Gemaris and the comments of the Rishonim to those Gemaris. One is, there are two Mishnayas actually, one is a Mishnah in Yoma, the other is a Mishnah in Shabbos. The Mishnah in Yoma says as follows, the Mishnah in Yoma is talking about, it's in the parak of Yom Kippurim, the laws of eating on Yom Kippur, so the, gemaris, the Mishnah gives the famous ruling, someone is a chazobomus, he's seized by some kind of life-threatening condition, which is caused by the not having food, the cure is to eat, so you have to eat. This is a life-threatening condition. Even on Yom Kippurim, even tray food, even varm and we give him whatever he needs until his condition is alleviated. That's clear. You know, we all know this halacha. The second half of the Mishnah is Mishnah Shachok Kelaf Someone has been bitten by a mad dog. Sounds like rabies, but hard to know exactly. But somebody is bitten by a mad dog. So the Rafua was the Rafua that was that the Mishnah seems to believe, or that people in the time of the Mishnah believed. Was effective for this is to eat from the chater kaved shalot, to eat from the lobe of the mad dog's liver. Simcha asked me, when I was explaining this to him, Simcha asked me with some puzzlement in his voice, he asked me if modern science accepts this. I said, I don't think we do this today. He said, he said if you eat from the infected animal, doesn't that mean, I explained to him that you know, rabies is a disease, a communicable disease, so not clear this is rabies, but he said, if you eat from the animal, isn't that just giving you more infected tissue? A good question, but uh, this refuah is a refuah segulah. It is not indeed a scientific refuah. The Rishonim generally agree. The can all agree. This is not a refuah that's based on what we would call science. This is based on segula. So are you allowed to do this? There are two issues here. Dogs are treif. you can not allowed to eat dogs. It's yom kippur even. You can't eat on yom kippur. So the Tanakhama says the Chacham say no. You may not do this because it's us. You can't do this. Ramasi ben Charash matir. The Taner, Imasi ben Charash, disagrees. He says, you are allowed to eat. You're allowed to feed him the, the, a piece of the liver of this dog. Onyam So So, what is the Machlokas, and how do we paskin? So, Rashi says, Rashi says, the Tanakama, who forbids it, says, even though people do this, it's not really a Rafua gemura, it's not such a real Rafua. Imasi ben Charash says, it is a Rafua gemura. It's not clear exactly what that means. What is a refuah gemura? What is a refuah she'ena gemura? You are allowed to eat. You are allowed to take mechal Shabbos for experimental medicines. If there's a chance something will work, it doesn't have to be a sure thing. Even if it's a relatively small possibility, if it's a real possibility, you're allowed to mechal Shabbos. So what is it? You're allowed to do any of it except the the few exceptions. What is a refuah gemura? What is a refuah she'ena gemura? Not entirely clear what Rashi means, but even more interesting are the comments of the Rav the Rambam says, how do we paskin? First of all, do we paskin like the Tanakhama who forbids eating the liver or a Masi Ben-Kharash who allows it? He says, we do not paskin like a Masi ben Charash. Why not? Says the Rambam, because the effectiveness of eating the liver is only a segula. And the Chachamim say, you're not allowed to do any, you can't violate any commandment of to the Torah, even to save a life, unless it is Rafua B'derach and it's davar amiti, it's something true, hotzio hadas, it's backed by science, by knowledge, by theory, banisayon, of le'emes, and reliable experimental uh, experimental basis, uh, empirical observation. However, he says, to, relo- to, to use a refuah that involves a skula, is oser, why? So Rambam uses some very colorful, but uh, difficult to uh, not so precise language, he says, kocham chalosh, their power is weak, Enomitsal hadas, it doesn't come from, from, from thought, from science. The experimental basis is dubious. The Taina It's a weak argument from those who err. Vizahu Iker Ha This is a very important principle. The Rambam says when it comes to violating Averus, violating mitzvahs, to uh, save a life, you have to distinguish between refuah sgules and Rafua of science. So there, there is a considerable question in the Achronim. What exactly does the Rambam mean? Does he mean that Rafuas Asgoulas is bogus? It's simply a folk superstition, but it does not work? Is that what he means when he calls it Toa and Taina and far from Emes? doesn't quite come out and say that. He kind of downplays it. He doesn't just say it's Sheker and nonsense and Sh'tus. He says it's not as reliable, it's not as authoritative. Not exactly clear what he means. But this is what the Rambam says. If the Halacha follows the Chachamim, you're not allowed to do an Avera to, you're not allowed to violate a mitzvah in the Torah for a refuah, for someone, even though he's a pasakana. if the refuah is segulah, because refuah segulah is, is a much, much more dubious thing than a refuah based on science. One Rambam. Another Mishnah and another Rambam. Mishnah in Shabbos says the Mishnah lists a whole bunch of what we would call superstitions but the, the Mishnah says you're allowed to indulge them the mission is specifically discussing carrying certain things on Shabbos, wearing certain things, or carrying certain talismans or uh, charms on Shabbos. So it says, You can go out on Shabbos with a locust egg, a fox tooth, a nail from someone who was crucified, these things are for the purpose of therapy, they're therapeutic, they're ostensibly therapeutic, and that's why Rabbi Mayer allows you to, to carry them outside on Shabbos. Or to wear them outside on Shabbos. The Kham and The chum say not only can't you utilize them on Shabbos, you can't even utilize them during the week. Mishum and HaMori. Darchei HaMori is a is a prohibition against against uh, following pagan superstitions, various types of pagan superstitions. The khum say this stuff is poisonous, it's usr even during the week, let alone on Shabbos. al What's the machlokis and how do we pass it over here? So, explaining Rabbi Meir, the Gemara brings a principle. The Gemara explaining the whole the whole context of this whole machlokus. The, the Gemara brings a principle: Abayah varavah tarvayu, rufua, therapy and amori are mutually exclusive. Anything which is therapeutic by definition cannot be a pagan. Does not have the ister of pagan superstition, and therefore things that have Rafua are mutter. Rambam explains, commenting on the Mishnah, Rambam explains the, the skulos of these things, Rambam says that halacha is like, he calls it Rabbi Yossi, he means Rabi Meir, or we call Rabi Mayer. here the halacha is like the lenient few. even though in Yoma the Rambam Paskin, not like Ramasi ben Charash, you now let it eat a treif dog to cure your mental, to cure your, your terrible disease, here he says the halacha is like the Tanakama, like Rabi Meir, like Rabbi Yossi. why? Because we pass kin, as long as it's therapeutic, there is no prohibition, and uh, it doesn't say, that doesn't apply to valid therapy, and therefore, this is mutter. So, various acronyms, beginning with the Radvaz, Ramoshe Ibn Chaviv, in his commentary to Yom to Yom HaKippurim, the Chida we'll see soon, various acronyms discuss the question of how to reconcile these two Rambams. In Yoma, the Ramam dismisses Skula and says Skula is out of bounds. If something is a Skula, it doesn't have the normal heterim of Rafua, While in Shabbos, he turns it on its head and says anything which has Rafua is not a superstition and you don't have to worry about Darachimah. One obvious hiluk is that the Beis HaZachargal and so on are not ostracized. You're not eating them. Not, you're not eating tray food. You're not violating Yom Kippur. Even though it's Shabbos and you're carrying it on Shabbos, but the Radvaz says that it's an isur drabanan. You're carrying it in an unusual way, so it's derach, uh, and therefore it's only an isur drabanan. While in Yomah we're dealing with uh, front and center Isurum daraisa. We're eating a uh, we're eating a dovertame, a treif animal like a dog, onion kippur, two isurum daraisa. That's the difference. The Rambam says that you're not allowed to engage in skula when there's an isur daraisa involved, like eating treif or eating onion kippur. When there's no isur daraisa involved. You just want to indulge in what otherwise might be called superstition or skula. That's fine. And even if there's Nishtar that's not so bad. That chazal allowed. One idea, the Red Vaz says, in general, though, the Chronim go back and forth on whether the Rambam did or did not believe in the effectiveness of this category of things called skula. We know, of course, the Rambam is a uh, tremendous rationalist. He tends to reject all manner of supernatural things. He believed in miracles. He believed in certain basic things, but he didn't believe in sorcery, and, uh, and all kinds of and demons, and mag- magic divine names, and so on. Rambam rejected, uh, in, in, in many ways, the Rambam was very modern, a very modern, uh, a very skeptical thinker. He didn't believe in, in all, manner of, uh, all manner of paranormal phenomena. But there is some question here, among Lachronim at least, as to whether he believed in the effectiveness of these Skulos in, in Yoma. He used a skeptical language, but he doesn't quite come out and say they don't work at all. So the Red Vahis struggles, the Red Vahis, the later Akronim struggle to understand exactly what the, what the Ramam's position is. Red Vahis seems to ultimately conclude the Ramam did not believe in these skulos, he thought they are not even Suffolk. Again, if it's a Suffolk, you can, you can violate even Shabbos. You can, you can, even if there's a one in a thousand chance, you, you're still machal Shabbos to save somebody's life. So the Ramam did not believe in skulos, he says. Otherwise, why wouldn't he have allowed them? You know, it, what is the, the Pshad? Why can't you eat the liver of a dog if it might work? So the the most logical explanation is Rambam simply didn't believe in the effectiveness of, of schulos. He felt that refu schulos is simply uh, bogus; it doesn't work. What about uh, what about the placebo effect? He actually Vise actually discusses the the question of the placebo effect. He's, he talks about the idea of isuve Daite, the idea that the the idea that if we simply let him do it, he'll he'll feel better and he'll be. Uh, the, the, the Ravada actually suggests the idea of Yishev maybe let him do it to make him feel better, he'll, he'll feel better about himself, he says, Manavshach, if, he, if he doesn't know what it is, he won't have the Suve diet by eating the dog, if he knows what it is, he'll be so, he'll be so uh, repulsed by it, he'll, he'll consider it gross to eat dog, it's not going to work anyway, he says, all right, I'll call upon him, the, the Akronim struggle to understand exactly what Rambam's position is, but, uh, but, but anyway, this is the view of the Rambam, the Rambam says loud and clear in Yoma in particular, you are not allowed to do any Iser Mishum if it involves, an is, if it's a, a Refua Skulis, if it's not Baderachateva, if it involves the, if it operates in the domain of Skula, you are not allowed to do any Refua, at, at least not if it involves an Iser daraisa like, like eating a non-kosher animal, or eating on Yom Kippur. So returning to the Admas Kodesh, he says, that was obviously why you're asking me this question. You want to know if you can eat trayf chicken soup to cure your your ailments of the soul. Obviously, you believe it's effective, so the only question you have is, it's a refuah schoolis, and the Ramam seems to say that you're not allowed to use refuah schoolis if it involves eating tray food. However, that's true, the Admas Kodesh says, that's entirely true. However, he says, other Rishonim disagree. He brings the Ramban, the Rashba, other Rishonim would disagree, and say that you are allowed to. Now, the Ramban and the Rashba, of course, disagreed with the Rambam programmatically. They were not rationalists. They believed in much of the paranormal that the Rambam objected to. They believed. Ramban and Rashba specifically call out Rambam, and they say he didn't believe in sorcery. The Torah believes in sorcery, the Hartum of Mitzrayim, and so on. He didn't believe in astrology. They, they did believe in astrology, and so on. So they rejected, uh, they rejected uh, root and branch, the Rambam's whole rationalist worldview. In particular, with regard to Refua Skoulis, so, Rabbi Mizrahi, he quotes a, a, a series of tshuvas of the Rashba, which we actually studied, we studied one of them in this uh, share a while back, a few years ago, probably, and that is the Rashba of the Tsuras HaAriyeh. The Tsuras HaAriyeh, the image of the lion, was a great controversy in the time of the Rashba, in the early 14th century, end of the Rashba's life. There was a, a tremendous controversy, there was some, again, some mystic, therapeutic uh, technique to cure a certain illness, which would involve drawing a picture of a lion at certain times. It, had, 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 it very much had the flavor of the occult, according to some versions of this therapy. There was actually incense offered at one point, which seems to veer into a territory even. There were astrological aspects to it. There was some kind of uh, deeply unscientific occult therapy Involving the image of a lion, and the, there was a great controversy in, in, in medieval Europe as to whether this is permitted for Jews. Does it violate the prohibitions of Avodah or of Darchi uh, Amari of Chukas Hagayim? Are you allowed, Is a Jew allowed to do to participate in this ritual? The Rashba wrote extensively on this question, discussed it at great length, discussed this Gemara about Kol Shegesh Bamishum Rifuah, bo Darchi Amari, and in the course of the Rashba's analysis, the the Rashba very much endorses the idea of Skula. He very much believes that Skula is real, Skula is a real thing, he says, and that just because it's not science doesn't mean that it's not a, it's not a legitimate thing. He says that the... He, go, he, he goes on and on that, the, that if, it has, if it has an element of rafua if it works, if we believe it's effective then it's not uh, it's, it's not Amari. There are all kinds of things in the Gemara. Anyone who's learned Gemara for a while, studied yomi throughout brachas and Shabbos, we have all kinds of hair-raising uh, mystic remedies, incantations and recipes and strange acts, and clearly many of these things are segula, are, are, not, are not what we would call scientific. So the Rashburn and the Ramban argue at great length that we shouldn't dismiss anything that's not scientific, there, that there, there is such a thing as valid and legitimate and permissible, non-scientific therapies. Now, Rabbi Mizrahi is a little bit, uh, he makes a kind of ment- uh, logical leap here. Again, we distinguished earlier that it's one thing, even the Rambam says, you can walk out with a, with a locust egg because there's no Isser involved, no Isser Dereisa involved. When there's no Isser involved, you just worry about Darachiyah Amori. If it has your refuah, it's easy to be lenient. The Rashbam and the Rambam are not talking about doing something which was out and out an Isser, like Chil Shabbos, or eating on Yom Kippur, or eating a dog, or eating tray food. It's far from clear that the Rashba and the Ramban would actually allow you to do something which is a clear-cut isser. But Rabbi Mizrahi seems to assume that it ultimately hinges on the same question of whether you believe in the efficacy of these occult remedies, of these paranormal remedies. He understands the Ramban and the Rashba to maintain that the, the paranormal is real and skula is real and it's a real, solid, reliable, uh, reliable uh, domain. And therefore, Rabbi Mizrahi concludes... That although the Rambam does say eloquently and unequivocally, based on the Mishnah and Yoma, that you are not allowed to use any kind of refu, refuah schoolis when it violates an Isser, other Rishonim disagree. We'll have to see how they understand the Mishnah and Yoma. But I'll call upon him. The maybe this particular refuah they held didn't work. The Chum said, but not that. Not that there's some kind of general rule like the Rambam says that refuah schoolis it can never be done. They understand according to him, Mizrahi schoola is real it's not Darachiyah Murray, as long as it has a valid refuah element, and even if it involves an Isra, an Isra Daraisa, like eating treif, even so, you would be allowed to do it because, because refuah schoolus is real, it's effective, it can be established through uh, observation, whether we have a real theory or not, and therefore, Rabbi Mizrahi concludes that, that this question is a subject of a great debate, whether a person is allowed to eat treif food if its benefit for life-saving benefit hinges on skula is a great makhlokos we shown him and Hadoui Paskin says rabbi mizrahi the psak should be since we're dealing with pikuach nefesh he says it's a safek it's a safek whether you're allowed to do it or not when it comes to pikuach nefesh we always err on the side of life-saving we always if we, in, in case of doubt we always lean in favor of saving lives. since there is a genuine makhlokos we shown him here and it's a and it's a nefashos, we side with the, the lenient view that says you may eat it, since this is reliable we have, uh, again, not by modern scientific methodology, but reliable by the standards of halacha, you've had three people who have been helped by uh, by, uh, by, by, this, uh, by this therapy therefore it is mutter and that's his maskana. he says that the since according to Ramban Rashba, Hagos these Caesar, Gedoli, Yisrael it's mutter, even though Rambam would disagree he says, We absolutely give it to him. We apply the rule be over one is or today beating novela, rather than having him live in a state of mental derangement for much of the rest of his life. Go for it, he says, you should absolutely do this, even though it's Baderach Skula. He thinks this is the way to go. In his brother's tshuva and the Prihaarets, he goes even further, and he, he mentions that in Salonika, the Rabbanim of Salonika, they said, they, they, he assumes that they verified its efficacy, they're competent based, and he says, that this chicken soup is effective, he says, and therefore they allowed it, according to the report that he, that it was, that was to, that he received. The Rabbanim of Salonika also ruled this way, so the Priharats and, the, and the, 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 the both the Priharats and Admas Kodesh, the Mizrahi brothers, as well as the Rabbanim of Salonika, they all ruled, that you are allowed to use a refuah schoolis, even if it involves a clear-cut, black-and-white, isr daraisa, as long as there is a situation of piko'ak nefesh. So this was the first major discussion of the question about 300 years ago. We have a number of Gidole hasfardim who were lenient on this question. The question is then picked up by the chida, Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulai, a uh, later sfardic authority, a celebrated uh, Celebrated, uh, celebrated for his erudition and for the interesting nature of many of his questions, he, he reports a very similar question. He says, we have a story as follows. A certain person found an ancient book th- from a great early uh, healer of some sort. It, he found a cure for a poison. What was the cure? It involved writing some kind of amulet, some kind of magic formula, that you write this out and that uh, functions as a, as as a thing that makes you vomit. I forget the term, uh, the, the the thing that makes you vomit up the poison, and a person gets better again. And he did it many times. Uh, people, either children who weren't careful or uh, people who were suicidal, cons- uh, they ingested poison. He wrote them out this amulet, and he, they were saved. One night, one Friday night, Leil Shabbos Kodesh, a certain. Woman, a certain girl, a Jewish girl, she drank poison, and she began to uh, enter her death rows. Hischilul divke misa. They came to this person. They said, "She's dying. She ingested poison. Quick, save her." He wrote the amulet. He wrote it out, and it worked. And she was, she survived. Uh, people found out what happened. That he wrote the amulet on Shabbos, writing on Shabbos, chil Shabbos deraisa. It was a great controversy, a great scandal. Everyone says that's terrible. It's chil Shabbos. He said, "What hell Shabbos? B'kurok nefesh. The girl was dying. nefesh is delchah Shabbos. Other people said he can't do that. Uh, obviously, they meant this issue that sculos and, and paranormal refuah he can't do on Shabbos. So the question here wasn't uh, wasn't whether to do it. He did it already. The question was, b'diavge, we treat him as a sinner. Did he do an avera deraisa or not? So the chida goes through the same analysis that it's true that b'kurok nefesh you can do whatever you have to do to save a life." But all the classic examples of that are Mederach science-based medicine. However, Derach Skula says in the, Yoma, the the liver, you can't eat the liver. Rambam says, Ikar Gadol, the great principle, we don't allow the violation of Yisurim if the, if the whole efficacy of the, of the therapy is derech Skula. So the Chidah so the says, this is a problem. So he says, he doesn't think this is such a great idea. What about the Gemara and Shabbos about walking out with the foxes, with the, the fox's tooth and the locust egg? Good, the so said that that's not an isur over there, and that's uh, the, you're not eating anything trace. It's just carrying the Midr- isur drabanan. You're not dealing with an de derais over there, so it, it should be asur. He says, but then he says he saw the Admas Kodesh, Admas Kodesh, and the Pri the Mizrahi brothers, both concluded that it's mutter. He says, the raya they brought from the Rashba and the Ramban, he alludes to the fact that their raya is, may not be compelling, perhaps for the reason I gave, perhaps for other reasons. So he's not sure. So he himself would be inclined to follow the Rambam and say, the Rambam is the one clear-cut voice that we have who says, you're not allowed to do Rufu eskulis if it involves an isur Daraisa. The Admas Kodesh and the Priyaretz claim that there are dissenting views maybe, but that's not entirely clear. So the Chida is inclined to the view that it should be Asr, but he's not absolutely certain. Elsewhere, the Chida discusses a similar question. He says he found a very old manuscript. The Chida was a, a tremendous, uh, a tremendous, a tremendous uh, uh, bibliographer. He, he, had, he had a tremendous, a vast knowledge of svarim of manuscripts. He had he traveled. He had access to, to manuscripts, libraries, printed books all over the place. He saw in an old manuscript. He said in the name of Rabbeinu Peretz that he actually once wrote on Shabbos. He personally apparently wrote and. Some kind of mystic divine name as a schooler for a uh, pregnant woman to uh, have an easier time in her delivery. On Shabbos, he wrote this amulet out. So, first he said, uh, maybe you can't do that. It's it's, it's refuel schoolers. It's machlokas, he says. Rambam says you can't. It's true. But the other, the achronim say, Ramban Ramban and Rashba disagree. As we saw on the Admas Kodesh, they say you're allowed to do school on Shabbos. So maybe he said, maybe Rabbeinu Peretz holds like the, the Ramban and the Rashba. Rabbeinu Peretz, from the from the Balayatosis probably was no uh, hardcore rationalist like the Rambam, so it's certainly possible that he could have agreed with Ramban and Rashba, that uh, he, a much more accepting attitude towards Kula. However, he says he's not convinced Ramban and Rashba disagree, so at the end of the day, the does position both in his in, in both places, in his Berke Yosef and in his Chuvas Chaim Shal. His conclusion is, we have, on the one hand, he, he's noted to, to Isser, he says, on the one hand, we have a, an absolutely clear Rambam Iker gadol, a great principle, you may not violate any Isser Daraisa if the therapy in question is Segula, we have, uh, we have a, a manuscript, Rabbeinu Peretz seems to allow it, we have some claiming that the Rambam the Rashba would allow it, but the, So it's not clear, there might be a dissenting view, but, on the, but the, what we have is, we have a clear-cut Rambam that it's Osir, maybe some disagree, that is how the Chida looks at, the, looks at Arsug. We turn now to several later 19th century authorities. We have a story that happened in Eastern Europe now, which also created a tremendous controversy. So, so far we've been discussing, so far we've been discussing uh, trafe chicken soup. Eating of tra- chicken soup to cure mental illness. We've been discussing eating the liver of a dog on Yom Kippur. We've and uh, we've been discussing writing amulets on Shabbos. The case in the Mersham, The case the case in the Marasham. He, he he relates a story. He says the the question he's talking about was sending a telegram or a letter to a great tzaddik to daven for someone on Shabbos. You have a chola who is critically ill, and you believe that the tfilos of a certain tzaddik might be very effective. So, are you allowed to send a telegram on Shabbos? Chil Shabbos, Dereisa, Drabanan, depending what it is, whether, you're, whether you have to write the telegram, whether you can just ask an Anjur to do it. Are you allowed to Mechal Shabbos in order to obtain the Tfilos of a Tzaddik for a Chola Shiesh So, first he, first he discusses the Halacha. He says regarding sending a telegram on Shabbos for a Chola. So, he says, for those who are Maminim but Tzaddikim, those who believe in Tzaddikim, we all believe that it's good to be a Tzaddik. He means, obviously, those who believe in their supernatural power, those who's he means the Hasidim, basically, those who have a, uh, well, as my father often says, it used to be more limited to Hasidim. Today, the, the doctrines of the Hasidim have spread uh, more widely. They've, they have perhaps infiltrated Ashkenazim as well. Sfardim have always been uh, more like the Hasidim in this, in this area. Those who believe in Tzaddikim, those who believe in the power of Tzaddikim to uh, effectuate, uh, great miracles, yeshuas, Paul yeshuas and so on, those who believe that the Marsham says, he's carefully uh, avoiding staking a position on this but he says, those who believe in the tzaddikim it's pikoch nefesh, you're allowed to be mechal Shabbos, he says, certainly if it's only drabanan, typically a telegram can probably have a non-Jew do it he says, I wrote about this, he says in the tshuva, I wrote about the question of whether you're allowed to mechal Shabbos for something that's not and he brings the sources we've been quoting some of them he says, however, he says, he notes uh, a little dryly at the end, he says, however, at the very least, the bare minimum requirement here would be we have to have established that this tzaddik is effective. Just because someone is, uh, people say he's a tzaddik, we have to have evidence. We have to have a clear track record of the effectiveness of his tfilas. Then he says the story. He says, Uvdi In terms of an actual uh, story, he says, I-, I know a story, he says, Be'ir Moladiti, the city of my birth in Zelotchev. He says there was one say Chola Mesuka. So it was a Chola Shiesh Pasakana. And he says at that time, his, his Rebbe, Mori Agona Kadush, Marash of bells, was in Brod in the city of Brody. in Brod, he, the, the, the Belzer Rebbe at the time was, was in the city of Brody. And people wanted to uh, send a letter to him to uh, please Davin for this Chola, please uh, help uh, save this Chola. So a certain diet, a certain diet in the city of Zalachov. allowed the writing of a letter by a non-Jew, it wasn't going to be Chol Shabbos de he allowed having a non-Jew write a letter on Shabbos Kodesh, write the Chola's name and his mother's name, and send a communique to Brody to ask the Belzer Rebbe to daven for this Chola. Now, in Brody, the the Talmud Chacham of the 19th century, who is most associated with Brody, is Rav Shlomo Kluger. One of the outstanding, uh, legendary figures of the halachic figures of the twentieth century, of the nineteenth century, he was of the of the nineteenth century. So he was when he, he was in Brody when he heard what happened that somebody wrote a letter on Shabbos to the to the Rebbe in Brody. So the Hashanah Kluger was outraged. He said the Dayan has is hereby suspended from his privileges as a posic. The Dayan is is no long, is now ineligible to pass anything further and uh, to issue such a, uh, such a terrible ruling, he's, he, he's suspended. The Belzer Rebbe also was upset, but for a somewhat different reason. He said, I'm not sure if this is meant to be a joke or what the Mersha meant by this, he says, but the Rebbe also was very upset at the person who wrote the letter. He said, now I really have to make sure that he gets a refuah. Because otherwise, I'll have caused chil shabbos without uh, with, without a good reason. So now I really feel responsible. He says to cure this patient, he, he's putting me in a, he's putting me in a, in a uh, in a very difficult situation. I have to make sure that the chola, the chola is healed. Otherwise, it's chil shabbos at all. It worked out. The chola was uh, did get a refua. However, says the marsham cholki a gavna ain you, we, we would not allow you to be able cool to do such a thing. He agrees with Roshul Kluger. This is possibly what the Belzer Rebbe meant as well. He may have just been uttering a witticism. He may have really meant the problem is Kol Shabbos. But this is the mar conclusion, that you're not allowed to do this. Certainly, he says, hazeh, even if in theory there's some basis for leniency, he says, certainly I wouldn't, allow, I wouldn't allow someone to do this as a matter of practical halacha in our generation. Either because, either because the tzadikim, maybe he means because the t'diqim in our generation aren't that effective, maybe he means with all the irreligiosity going around, we don't want to issue such a hurrah which could be uh seen as a precedent for other other violations of Shabbos. Al says, and we, we can we can apply aptly the phrase we say on Shabbos, when we make a we say We're not gonna in because it's Shabbos. So Really, that means we don't use the regular language. We, we change the language so we should bear it from during the week. But the Marsham says, it's a kind of witticism. He says, Shabbos himi lizuk. It's Shabbos, so we can't do what we would normally do. We can't write letters and telegrams to Tzadikim. But uh, Shem will help you anyway. But uh, So the Marsham concludes stringently, along with the Shalom Kluger, along with the Belzer Rebbe, perhaps, that we should not allow Chil Shabbos for a refua derach skula, and even if, in theory, there's some justification for it as a practical matter of a, a, a responsible posseg in the 19th century, and I would assume certainly in the 20th century or the 21st century, should not allow such a thing. So we've seen that Rav Shalom was one of the ones who uh, was very adamantly opposed, although some of the early Sfardim, the earlier Sfardim, the Admas Kodesh and the Preharetz, and even the Chida wasn't sure. We were a little more uh, willing to consider such a thing, even allowed at Lachat As we've seen, the Marsham and Rabbi Shlomo Kluger, the Ashkenazim, were much stricter. Rabbi Shlomo himself, his opinion appears in some of his own chuvas as well. And one of his comments, at least, appears in response to a very interesting tshuva of the Chasim Sofer. So the Chasim Sofer from the early 19th century certainly is one of the, one of the most authoritative uh, of all the Achronim, certainly for Ashkenazim. The Sofer talks about the following case. He actually implies a certain leniency, at least in theory, which Rosh Kluger was not happy about, although Halakha he was not willing to allow it, but the Chatham Sofer impl- implies a certain considerable leniency in this matter. His case was a very curious one. There was a Kohen who had Choli So there was a Kohen who had the illness of the seizures, often translated as epilepsy, this was a terrible disease that Rishonim and Akharim talk about. It was a either epilepsy or something similar, where people would be would lose consciousness, would suffer seizures of various sorts. it, it was considered a terrible, a, a terrible affliction, very dangerous. Sometimes he would fall; uh, he could fall in the water, he could fall in fire because he loses control of his faculties. He can injure himself. It was considered a very dangerous ailment. So they found in the Chassam Sofer's time, somebody found that there is a Remedy for epilepsy. What is the remedy? That he takes the he takes the he takes the he to take the hand of an RL mace, of an uncircumcised deceased person, an uncircumcised cadaver. Hold his hand and say the following incantation: Kach mi meni you dead person, please take this illness away from me. Let it transfer from me to you. o no doesn't hurt you. You're dead anyway. Tamativo, you're doing me a favor. We discussed in our Pasha share this week Zen and Avazel Chasser, al Midas Dom. Do me a favor, you have nothing to lose, you're dead anyway. Just take the epilepsy away from me. And uh, you have to hold his hand while you say that. All right, this is what they read. People tried this, They, they, they tried. someone tried this Rafua and it worked. So now the, there was a Kohen who had this Choli. The Kohen had this disease. The question was can he do this? He has to touch a cadaver. Even a non Jewish cadaver is metame certainly Bamaga, if you touch it. So is he allowed to do this? Is, a Kohen is normally prohibited. In Isser Daraisa and Pashas Emer, a Kohen is prohibited from putting himself in contact with Tomas Meis, even from a non-Jew. So the question is, for the purpose of curing his Choli Nikpah, his terrible affliction of epilepsy, is he allowed to do this Rafua, which involves contact with a, with a cadaver? Very similar to the case of the Admas Kodesh. You had a person with a severe neurological condition, a severe mental illness in the earlier case. The refuah involves a lav d'araisa. It's not even Chol Shabbos. It's just a lav of uh, ordinary lav, so to speak. Are you allowed to do a refua, refua refuah, refuah skula Obviously, this is not uh, science, saying you take my choli because it doesn't matter to you anyway. This is not science. This is skula. So are you allowed to do this? Are you allowed to bimitame yourself is a coin allowed to violate the Isra of Tumah in, 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 order, in order to cure his terrible affliction. Says the Chassam Sofer. It is Sakhanath Nefashis. He takes for granted that this ailment constitutes Sakhanath Nefashis. So if the Rafua would be, would be well established, empirically established, as per the Talmudic expressions of refua beduka, machi gavra, kamea, if, if this would meet the, the halachi criteria for a well-established refuah. Pashut, he says, Ein l'chadavrish, omid Nepikuach nefesh. It's Pashut, that nothing stands in the way of pikuach nefesh, and the Kohen would be permitted. However, he says, "Mistapik Malasso, he doesn't think the refuah, he's not sure the refuah is baduka kolkach. he's not, not sure how well this is, uh, how well this is really. One guy, they found it in an old book somewhere, one guy said he, uh, one guy said he did it, well, one guy said he did it, that's hardly uh, a strong track record of success. So that was the question the Chassam Sofer grapples with. Is this considered a sufficient basis for violating the law of Tomas so This is, what, is that what the Chassam Sofer wrote about it? The bulk of his tshuva deals with this question of whether we have sufficient basis to allow this Rafua. Cesar Shulma Kluger, one of his own tshuvas, he said, you know, I was asked about a, about a similar question that uh, I was asked this question also, a Kohen who has uh, epilepsy and they told him the refuah is to come in contact with the cadaver and, to, uh, and so on. So he says, yes, the Chassam Sofer indicates that if this would be reliable, he would allow it, but he's not, not sure it's reliable. The whole issue in his shuva, he says, Pashut, she she'omrim nefesh, as long as it's reliable, as long as it's an authentic and effective remedy, says the Chassam Sofer, says there of Shlomo Kluger, eh, no, this is wrong, he missed the Rambam. The Rambam tells us in his commentary to the Mishnah in Yoma, and Iker Gadol, a great principle. We do not allow the violation of any Isser, even a, lav, a simple Lav Daraisa. We do not allow the violation of any Isser Daraisa for a Rafua, which is Skulis. Says Shalon Kluger, Hachinami Liga Kohen for the Kohen to come in physical contact with a cadaver. This Rafua is certainly not tivious, it's certainly not natural and scientific. Whatever it is, even if it works, it's derach skula only, he says. There is no heter to do this because of b'gogh nefesh. But Oster Lassus came. Absolutely Oster. So Shalom Kluger's tshuva her is in line with the account of the Marsham that he condemned those who sent the telegram because even though, again, he, 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 those who sent the letter on Shabbos to the bel because even though even if you believe it's effective, it is not B'derach Ateva, it is B'derach Skula. Whether it's Skula of mitzvahs like Torah and Filah and, and, and a tzaddik, whether it's a Skula of uh, who knows what, an occult Skula of saying incantations while holding the hand of a cadaver, or from Moklurga's position is consistent and clear. He does not allow the violation of a, of a mitzvah in the Torah for the Rufuah Skulas. So the bottom line is, we have a just to summarize, to repeat what we've said, we have, a, we have an extremely clear, unequivocal Rambam, which, again, is very much the Rambam Lushitase, the Rambam was a rationalist, didn't have much use for the occult. So we have a clear Rambam who learns, based on a Mishnah, you're not allowed to violate any Isser, Gomer, Medar for a few schools. Maybe because he didn't believe in schools at all, maybe because he believed they were so tenuous at best that, they, that there wasn't grounds for violating an Isser. But whatever it is, the Rambam's position is clear. If something is not science even if you believe it's effective, even if you believe it's effective, that's not an excuse to violate a mitzvah in the Torah. If there's no iser in the Torah, it's just a superstition, then maybe it's allowed, like the locust egg and the fox's tooth, but if there is an isser involved, there is, no, there is no heter whatsoever to violate an isser. Now, And the, the later Ashkenazic post, the Marsham, Rosham Kluger, follow that ruling, and they basically take the position that whether it's Tvila, whether it's any kind of skula there is no Heter to violate an Isser, surely not an Isr Daraisa, if the refuah is Darach skula. On the other hand, we have a number of svardim plus the Chatzim Sofer, who seem to argue that, as long as it's, we take a more pragmatic approach, as long as it's B'Kuach Nefesh, and we have reason to believe, we have good enough reason to believe that the refuah is effective, then we should allow it, because E'N how Nefesh? And even, if it's, even though you have the Rambam, there are, some, of them, some of them claim there are Rishonim who disagree with the Rambam, the, the less rationalist Rishonim, did believe in Skulos, and they might even allow schulos. The claim is they would allow Skulos even if they did involve an isur daraisa, and therefore some of the early, some of the earlier sfardim were willing to allow a Rafua schulis even if it involves a uh, an isur daraisa. The chasam sofer indicates he would also allow it, which again it's uh, puzzling that he wouldn't even mention the rambam. And the chida is not sure. The chida notes on the one hand we have a very clear rambam that prohibits it. On the other hand, he found a manuscript in which Romano Peretz apparently wrote an amulet on Shabbos. He also mentions the argument of the Admas Kodesh, which he's not sure about, but some Rishon would disagree. So the Chida is not exactly sure whether we would allow Rafu Schoolis if it involves an Iser de Raisa. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening, and uh, have a good night. Sorry, yes. yes. Hi, uh, this is Aaron Seif. It's just a question in terms of the categorizations of things. So there's things that work by whatever is the going principle leading the day, and that would be obviously permitted on Shabbat. And then you've got categories of, of segula, which are what seems to be the controversy. Where do things that really aren't supported by anything, but aren't in the category of segula? They're not labeled as segula, so you're saying it's some sort of mystical mechanism, but there's no obvious reason why it would work. So, yeah, so we, we discussed this a little bit in, in, in our share on the Tzur Ha'aye, the share on the... I think you were there. I remember talking to you about this back then also. The, it, it's a very difficult question, especially, especially back then and even today. You know, there, there are certainly aspects of science where, where, the, where we start with observation. We discover penicillin or whatever. We discover some phenomenon which, which clearly works, even if we have no theoretical model for uh, for explaining it. The, 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 the Rishonim often used to give the example, the Rashba, I think, in, this, in one of its chubas, gives the, exa- the example of magnetism, which certainly wasn't understood at all that time. It's, you know, not even arguably, it's, you know, we can argue how well it's understood today. We can describe it today using equations and so on, spooky action at a distance and so on. So obviously, the, the sci- science works on a continuum between good theoretical understanding, good models, but maybe less understanding, no models, but clear empirical evidence of something working. So the Rambam actually engages this question in his discussion of Darachi Murray, he He stresses both the kind of both poles of this uh, of this discussion, both the question of theoretical model and scientific understanding on the one hand and empirical basis and confirmation on the other. It's not entirely clear how those two fit together. Certainly, if you have both, we call that science and uh, and, and if you have neither, we probably we call that probably not science, but the Rashba and the Rambam both struggle with the question of. How do we categorize things that we have you know, strong reason to believe they work and we, we, we hold open at least the possibility of there being an explanation even if we don't have one yet? Was, the Rashford tried to argue that there were certain things which he felt were even beyond explanation. He thought magnetism was just such a... He was trying to argue that the line between science and occult is you know, very blurry because there are some things that are clearly effective in a uh, you know, demonstrable way which have no possible explanation. Today, obviously, we feel that as science progresses, we, we we are able to understand more and more of these questions. Although sometimes science opens up, you know, more and more new questions as we go. So it, it, it is true. It, I was avoiding the question tonight, but it is it is certainly the critical question here: How do we define something as uh, acupuncture or you know, different aspects of Chinese medicine? There are possible models. You know, there's a lot we don't know about the body. You know, there's a lot we don't know about uh, biology. It's certainly possible that some of these. Herbs or things may have some effect. Uh, we don't know how yet. We can't isolate which which compounds in there are effective. But uh, so it's obviously that the, there is a very in the modern world. We certainly have a, uh, a somewhat you know gray area in middle where we have some maybe limited empirical evidence. We have uh, don't have an active uh, working model, but we can. But bright young PhD students will be happy to propose you know, models of how something might work in theory. So yeah, so the, the, these are very important questions. I was kind of taking for granted that there are certain things that we would all agree are not scientific, like incantations or, uh, or astrological signs of the stars and so on, and there are certain other things which, uh, if they work at all, probably do have a scientific basis, like if we find uh, you know diff- different types of medicines that, that work against diseases, we might not be able to map out the, the exact antibodies and the exact receptors that work, but we know enough about biology to know that medicines do have potential to work against diseases. But yes, it, it is a very important question about where exactly do you draw the line between scula and science. All the posts we're recording tonight just kind of take for granted that it's one way or another. But yes, the, the, the definitions of these categories is, is crucial, and, and, and it, it is something that we did not get into tonight. So yes, it is an important question, and I, and I, I didn't really do it justice tonight. I would, I would like to ask whether it's permitted to visit the grave of its side of obtaining reform for a sick child now you have a situation where the parent is desperate and the, is that permissible or is that a form of oh, so I, I've given Shuram on this in the past the the minag of davening at Kivrit Sadikim in general is an old one it goes back uh, actively at least to the time of the Rishonim there are even some madrashim about it it says when the Muragalim went to Israel, it says uh Kalev went to Marasimachbela to Davin. So there are sources in Chazal, and particularly from the time of the Rishonim onward, we do find numerous sources, not, not necessarily specifically about a sick child, but, but we do find sources about praying at the graves of, of tzaddikim. On the other hand, there are Poskim who opposed it, there are Poskim who who actually did, did were very critical of the practice, who said it's Dare the, shel Hamasim, the, one of the occult practices the Torah forbids. Is, some, is something called Dari Shalamesim, seeking out the dead. It's not clear what that means, but there are some posts who have actually applied that to enlisting, the, enlisting Taddikim in your, in your quest for, uh, for some type of, 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 of success in your tefillah. The, the, consen- the strong consensus is that in general, praying at, at the graves of Taddikim is mutter. What there is more debate about, however, is the, is the correct uh, theological frame of mind in which you do that. The, the more litvish approach, the one accepted by the Mishnabrurah that goes back to the Maril and Chayadam and many postkim is that the more litvish approach is you cannot address the tzaddikim. You cannot uh, ask them to help you. You can simply pray to God in the merit of the tzaddikim. Why, do you, why, can you, why is their merit only harnessed if you pray at the grave as opposed to praying at your shul or in your house? A good question. But uh, the, more, the more acceptable, less controversial approach is that you can pray to God and ask him to please help you in the merit of the holy people who are buried here or the merit of your ancestors who are buried here there are some there are some who allow even a more even even a more direct addressing of the of the dead to ask them to even them you certainly can 't deify them, but but there are those who say you can ask them to intercede on your behalf or you can actually address them directly and try to enlist them in your cause. That is more controversial. Some posts can explicitly say you're not allowed to do that. Some some posts be more tolerant to that. That's machlokus. But 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 the basic idea that of, of praying at the graves of tzaddikim is something that had, that has been that that is widely accepted in, in our misora for a while. Rabbi, so, yes. uh, uh, we don't understand it, but we typically um, tell people to uh, to daven for refuah. We uh, we encourage we encourage people to, to fast, and these things are also um, beyond understanding. So they don't involve trade things uh, or things that are against the Torah. Uh, in fact, they are expected. But the mechanism for how things work is also mysterious. So uh, apart from the fact that they are not uh, um, uh, to- Torah, uh, they're against the Torah. Um, the, uh, the, the fact that, uh, that we daven, or that we fast very much a mystery. Good. So. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and that's exactly why the post kim like the Mar Shaman, or Shlomo Kluger said, it's wonderful to daven, it's the best thing you can do, but don't think you can Khal Shabbos to daven. A person wants to drive to shul to daven because he says, I, my, I have a relative who's deathly ill, I want to drive to shul to daven betzibur, that's Chil Shabbos. You can't do that because it's, it's something, like you said, exactly, because it's something that's not paderech it's wonderful to do it as long as it does not involve any other avera. As soon as you, as soon as you are, you are, you are, you are compromising on some other halachic value because of that, that becomes User. And that is the, certainly the, the, I think, the dominant position in, in the acronym What do you mean by What do you mean by that? That's what Dr. Cypress was asking. Also, how do we distinguish exactly between Hateva and skula? It's not, it's not an easy question to answer. How to define what exactly is derechateva? And what is not is uh, it, it, to try to get into a philosophical definition, a precise definition of what it is, is hard. In, intuitively speaking, roughly speaking, you know, it's laws of nature, th- things that a you know a non-Jew would recognize as well, things that are widely accepted as being demonstrable and proven by experiment. How how, how, how is fasting? How is davening? Something is, people daven all the time, but they don't they don't necessarily get the result no right. to rain for. Right. Exactly. And they, and they fast. Exactly. But th- 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 those, th- those things are not because most people in the world would, would not tell you that they see a clear causal connection between davening and getting the results. We believe it because that's our, what our Torah tells us, that's our mesora. but, it, but, but it, it's not something that is, uh, that's taught in science class. So, uh, the, so it, it, in, in science, whether they'll explicitly reject it or just tell you that science doesn't deal with that, that, that's not part of science, or that, that's not part of what uh, the world as we observe it, the world as we clearly see it in the, in the standard rules of cause and effect, of physics and biology and, and engineering and so on, So that, that is not called derechateva. It, it's a wonderful thing to do, it's a mitzvah to do it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's fundamental to our lives as Jews, but not when it involves an iser. that, that that's, that's the ruling of Rosh Hashem and Kluger and the Marcham. because it's not derechateva, we can't do it if it involves compromising on, on some other aspect of halacha.